Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at First Christian Church. Uh, for those who are guests today, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm very glad you're with us. And uh, welcome to everybody here in the West Auditorium, to everybody in the East. Those of you who are worshiping with us online, we have a lot of people online today, I assume, because of the weather. And also those of you who are in Lovington, we're very glad you're here. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Matthew. It's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. If you're online, there is a, um, a tab. You can find Matthew 28 there. It'll take you out to that scripture. Maybe some of you want to find it on your, on your uh, smartphone, whatever the case. We're very glad that we're going to read some scripture together today. To get ready to read the scripture, um, just um, we're having a baby this week. I, not Leslie and I. We, I mean, I, I know I look young for my age, but it would be... No, our son and daughter-in-law are having a baby this week. Uh, they're having a baby sometime. You know, it's up to the baby's choice at this point. But beyond that, that will be our fourth grandbaby. We have three others who all came at the same time. We have twins and a little girl, um, and two boys and a little girl. The boys have belonged to our son, little girls from our daughter and her husband. And uh, when they all get together in the house, you can imagine it's three years old. All came at the same moment. We, our lives were changed forever, of course. It's, it, it's an interesting moment. Um, you might refer to it as a chase. Others might refer to it as chaos. We refer to it as family. But you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to be said. Like, just a few days before Christmas, back at the twins' house, this happened. So they have these um, plastic blocks. They're about, um, oh, maybe three and a half, four inches square. They're three-eighths of an inch thick. They're hard, hard plastic. They have magnets all around inside, and so they just click together, and they can build things that are really tall, and they love it, and it's, it's, very, it's really cool stuff. But um, those sharp corners can be difficult if a block flies through the air. And sometimes they, they're like little disks. They, could, they shouldn't fly, but sometimes they do. And let me tell you, if one of them flies through the air and the corner of that thing hits up against the screen of the television, it's not a good moment. It's not a good moment for the television. It's not a good moment for the thrower. I'm just telling you right now. So that happened recently at, their, at the kid's house. And um, sometime after the block through, flew through the air, and sometime after the results were very well known in the life of the young man, and uh, sitting there in the corner for a long time, the twins' mother decided to video the two of them, the boys' response to this event that had happened. And the non-offending party, I'm not going to tell you which one was which, the non-offending party was concerned that since people can't tell them apart, they're identi identical, identical, identical twins, if you will, so he was concerned that since no one can tell them apart, that once Santa learned that one of them had thrown the block, that maybe it needs to be clear as to who threw it and who didn't. Because if you're a three-year-old and it comes to authority, you always want to appeal to Santa, right? So Courtney caught it on video. It's about a 10-second blurb. We put captions underneath it so you can see what's going on as one says, it wasn't me. Look at this. Broke it, Mom. He broke it? Yeah. I want to tell Santa Claus. You want to tell Santa? Yeah. Yeah. 
we're brothers, but not when it comes to Santa Claus. <laughs> Apparently, in the mind of a three-year-old, Santa Claus has the final authority. I mean, three-year-olds, they're known for, you're not the boss of me, I'm the boss of me, right? You hear that? You're not a three-year-old, are you, by any means? Maybe there are some three-year-olds in here today. But we would never say, you're not the boss of me. You're my spouse. You're not my boss. Well, you might be my boss for eight or nine hours a day, but you're not going to tell me how to manage my life outside of work. There's no one who's got authority over me. Perhaps we wouldn't say it like a three-year-old, but who are we kidding? There are moments when everyone wants their own autonomy, and um, we want those moments when we can point to our, hey, I'm an individual, I'm in charge of who I am, and particularly as Americans, it's kind of bred in us that we are, you know, we, we can be masters of our own destiny, we can, we can pursue happiness to, our, to the exclusion of everybody, we get to do what we want to do. Is that biblical, to say you're not the boss of me? Is that what God had in mind when he created humans? I mean, we have this self-autonomy. We have this intelligent power that is not found in any of all of, else of creation. We have this intelligent power to make decisions for ourselves, to say yes or no. And particularly as a Christian, if we say that Jesus is in charge, how does that work? How does it work how should, what should we do with authority? I guess you can put it this way. That authority for Christians has to be answered by asking this question. Who is in charge of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? We're going to answer that question today as we carry on with our opening ser sermon series of 2020. It's called OK Go. What, we've been, what we did last week today and the weeks ahead, we're looking at Jesus' final words with his disciples. It's the instructions he left them, and consequently us, if you're a follower of Jesus. It's after his death, after his resurrection, in the final moments before his resurrected body went up to heaven. He, this is what happened, beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 28. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So what's with that? Well, they're, they're, Jesus is alive again, and they understand that, but they've got some confusion about it. How is it that he came back from the dead? This is before theology is developed. This is before the early church. They're still trying to figure it out. And so uh, what's all this? And Jesus shows up. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So based on my authority, here's what you're to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're supposed to go, we're supposed to tell others about Jesus, and to teach them everything I have commanded you. They're supposed to obey everything that I've put in your hands. And then, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You'll notice if you flip back, just go back a few verses before, what happens is Matthew records it just before this event. You've got Jesus' resurrection, right? Now, Matthew goes from Jesus' resurrection to this passage that we call the Great Commission. You need to be aware there is a time gap there. There's, a, there's time there that Matthew doesn't account for. Other writers in the scriptures tell us that Jesus was around after the resurrection maybe seven weeks or so, probably close to seven weeks. And um, we, we know some of the details that took place during those seven weeks. He 
ate with his disciples. He would have a number of events where he would show up. And next week, we're going to particularly look at what the instructions are coming out of this moment when he says, okay, I want you to go. And we're going to particularly look at where we're supposed to go. Heads up, it's going to be about our community. It's going to be about global, what we're supposed to do globally. That if you're a follower of Jesus, we are to go make disciples. We're to go tell others of Jesus Christ. Invite them into a relationship with God through him. And by the way, may I suggest that you don't miss that because um, we're going to show you something next week that I think you've never seen before. I would doubt that you've seen it. And so show up. It's going to be very cool. We've got a guest coming who'll be on the stage with me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But for today... Before we get to the go part, let's talk about what it means when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Realize this is the last scene where Jesus is basically saying, okay, I've done everything that I came to do. I came as a little baby. I came as Emmanuel, God in the flesh. I've lived with you. You've been through all the necessary teaching and the instructions. I died for you. It's all done. Everything's, it, I, I, I rose from the dead. Everything that I needed to do to make my mission complete is done. So now, based on that, go and make disciples. Tell others. And all that's great. Jesus follows those who call ourselves, we call ourselves Christians. We say we are followers of Jesus Christ because of his ministry and because of his success. However, I suspect that many of us, at times, we say, well, even though I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and even though I'm supposed to go and live so that others recognize that I'm a Christian and tell them that I'm a Christian, and I'm supposed to be someone who is evangelizing or making other Christians, if you will, do I really have the authority? What authority? What, 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 why should, isn't it rude? Aren't I being arrogant if I tell someone else that they should be a Christian? Well, I ask you this. If it's about authority, who is in charge of you? Notice this isn't some meek and mild Jesus. This isn't the Jesus that we've just celebrated over the Christmas season. This is Jesus in the manger, um, carrying on some, some, you know, this baby that needs to be uh, cared for by an unwed teenage mother. This isn't Jesus who's, as an adult, has to live with the ancient stigma of, hey, I was born illegitimately. No, now we know by virtue of his resurrection. He has all of heaven's authority vested in his very being. And when he came as a baby, he limited his ability. He limited what he would know so that he would be human. But now the, hum the limits of human life are gone. They are no longer constraining his abilities nor his knowledge. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? I, to answer that question, I, I want to ask you to step into some fairly heavy theological lifting today. And uh, to do that, let's just review a bit of history. Some of the history that was, we know of from Scripture that was around, things that happened before humans showed up on the scene. Before the story of humanity begins, Scripture tells us, God had authority in heaven. But then somehow, in some prehistoric history, a malignancy of rebellion germinated, had a germinating seed in heaven. What it was was God was there, and then there were groups of angels. They were led by archangels, and one of those archangels was a, an angel by the name of Lucifer, became known as Satan today. And Lucifer attempted, the scriptures tell us, attempted a coup d'etat, that 
He's going to be in charge. He wants to get God out of heaven, and he's going to be in charge. And he lost that battle. He lost the coup d'etat. And since then, though, as he was thrown out of heaven, there's been this war between God's authority and a false authority ever since. You have the true divine authority of God, and you have the false authority that Satan represents. And it all comes down to this question. Who is in charge, God or Satan? Now, we know that that battle or that war culminated in Satan's major power play. He said, how can I best defeat God? I'm going to kill God's son, Jesus, using a Roman cross. But by Jesus' resurrection, that war was won. Now, we still have some battles to play out, absolutely. We're waiting for the end of time when Satan will be cast into the fires of hell forever. We get that. But in the meanwhile, that battle still takes place, and sometimes it even takes place in our own lives. As creatures with an ability to choose how to live, we have to choose who is in charge of each of us as individuals. Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus today, Christians are the ones who say, God is in charge of my life. Now, hear me, friends. That's from a position of great humility. We, we can never say, well, well, that makes us better than Christians. No. Christians, we can't look down our nose at non-Christians. We can't look down and say, well, I'm better than non-believers. No, who are we kidding? If you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're probably very much aware of your shortcomings. And in fact, if look, instead of looking down, it's like this way. We choose to have God lift us up into a relationship with him and Jesus, but we come lower than the people around us and say, how can I serve? How can I care for you? How can my lifestyle and my words tell you about Jesus Christ? I'm going to serve all of humanity. And as we do that, we go in Jesus' name. In school this week, if you're a student, in school this week, how can you serve your fellow students? At work this week, adults, how can you serve your fellow workers in the name of Jesus? And in the process, they learn of Jesus Christ. In the neighborhood, at the gym this week, how can you serve others in the name of Christ? Now, who are we kidding? There are moments when we blow it. We don't act right. We go our own way. We choose to say, okay, I know what God wants me to do. I don't know how God wants me to live, but I'll get there eventually. But right now, I'm kind of liking where I am. We're kind of like... Kind of like cats. You know how cats, you can never tell a cat what to do, right? You can tell a dog what to do. But have you ever tried to tell a cat, go fetch? <laughs> Ain't going to happen, right? They're kind of indifferent. Um, the, 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 it seems to me, I, I know some may be here cat lovers, but it seems that there isn't much to being a cat. You just kind of sit around and be fed now and then. And when the can opens, you come. But what if our feline friends had some massive potential that's untapped? What if we could train cats? You guys are wondering, where on earth is this going? Well, hang with me, because back in the 1870s, there was a group of people in Belgium that said, we're going to train cats to do something really cool. The New York Times reported on their event activities. They say that those who are intimately acquainted with the domestic cat must sometimes wonder why no effort has been made to develop the cat's intellectual powers. Because cats have a brain, right? So how come we get, get, can get dogs to do things, but we can't get cats to do something? So they formed a society, the Belgian Society for the Elevation of the Domestic Cat. And they decided they were going to provide the cats that they knew with a goal. They wanted cats to begin to deliver the, to the, they wanted cats to begin 
to deliver the mail. What? Well, here's the thought. Silly as it is. If you take you or me and put you or me in a field where we have no markers around us and no recognition of where we are, and said, find your way home, there's no, you have no compass, you don't have a smartphone with GPS, eventually you can probably find your way home, right? You figure out, where am I? And you can talk to people. But if you're a cat, the Belgian Society for the, um, for the Elevation of the Domesticated Cat puts, took some cats and in an experiment, they put them in a field and said, what happens? And sure enough, they'd find their way home. So they thought, well, why don't we, when we have these cats, as they're finding their way home, put some mail around their neck and they can deliver the mail. So, seems like something you should try. So they got 37 cats that they borrowed from homeowners. Now, I don't know where you borrow 37 cats. I don't know if many homeowners will say, you can borrow my cat and take my cat out to the wilderness and see if it comes home. But they tried. This is in the city of Liege in Belgium. They took 37 cats. They took them out to a field. They put little pouches around their necks. They're made of leather. They put a note inside in case the cat didn't get home. They'd know where the cat belonged. And they let them loose. And you know what? They all made their way home. All of them, all 37 made their way home. But not so fast for some of them. One got home in five hours. The rest kind of meandered around for days. Apparently, the cats, while they could find their homes, weren't all that efficient at delivering the mail in a timely fashion. And besides, after they'd sent the cats on their way, this thought occurred to the society. If we've got mail that, say, has to go to 3350 North MacArthur Road to this church, and the church has a mail delivery cat, somebody has to go and get the cat to take it to the mailbox, to the post office, to let the cat find its way home. Wouldn't it be easier just to bring the mail instead of come find the cat? Hello, why they didn't think of that beforehand, I don't know. I mean, cats do their own thing at their own time, right? No one has authority over a cat. Have you ever, have you ever tried to put a cat in a cat carrier? <laughs> All four limbs. Of, I, I was going to show you a video of cats going in cat carriers, but they were so... Uh, go out on YouTube and have yourself 20 minutes of laughter. That's all I can say. <laughs> What, Wayne, where is all this going? You and I are sometimes like cats, right? We say, God, you're in charge. You have authority over me, and, but I'm not going that cat carrier, and I'm not going where you want me to go. Well, maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll change the way in which I act. Maybe I'll come under, and choose to ser under other people and choose to serve them in humility, but just not right now. If you want me to be your, your witness or your mouthpiece, if you will, I'll do it, but... Uh, I'm not the right age. I don't have the right profession. I don't have the right skill set. And just don't ask me to do it right now. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if there's something within you that says, hey, Jesus is in charge, then doesn't that mean that Jesus is both, we can put it this way, your Lord and your leader? When we say that, may I remind you that Jesus is Lord over more than just you, though. He's always been vested with divine authority. There's a cool story in Mark chapter 4. Jesus' and his disciples are in a boat. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is this really big, large lake. 
Uh, it's not a sea. It's, they call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's basically a really big lake north of Jerusalem. And they get in the boat, and they go out in the center of the, uh, of the lake, and Jesus falls asleep in the front of the boat. And while he's laying down, uh, a big squall comes up. And I mean, Sea of Galilee is known for having very violent storms appear out of nowhere. And the disciples are afraid they're going to lose their lives. And they wake him up. Jesus, 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 we've got a problem here. Get ready, get ready. And he stands up and he says, to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And the waves and the wind stop flat like that. And the disciples are stunned. They go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey what he says? He's in charge of creation? Well, absolutely. Colossians says this, that in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see that sort of authority expressed in Scripture in many, many different places. In Philippians, we learn that upon his resurrection, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So there's a, there's every, in the long run, everyone's going to acknowledge that Jesus is in charge. And, it, and when it comes to this, every knee bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, even those who are, if you will, the forces of Satan. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that God has put all things under his feet. In fact, not only is Jesus Christ in charge of creation and all people in the days ahead, it, there are places in Scripture where it doesn't just call Jesus Lord, it actually calls him Lord of Lords. In the book of Revelation, as the Bible is describing the end of time as we know it, um, the writer of Revelation, John the Apostle, he's seeing things for the future, in the future that have yet to occur, even in our time. They've not occurred yet. And it's, it, the visions that he has are full of all kinds of apocalyptic literature, pardon me, apocalyptic language that forms part of this literature. And he doesn't even have language to fully describe everything that's going to happen. And he has these images and he sees... He sees a, a, a variety of horses, three of them, in fact. One's fiery red, and one is, one is black, and one is pale. And he ascribes to what, what these horses, what they are in charge of. Like one is in charge of war, one is in charge of um, slavery and subjugation, and one is in charge of death. And he's wondering how these, what, these creatures, these horses, are pushing all this awful stuff on, on the earth. And then he sees a fourth horse, a white horse, and on that horse, Jesus Christ is riding as conqueror, bringing peace and justice, defeating and ruling over the three other horses of war and violence and evil and death. And this is how it's described in Revelation 19. He says, I saw heaven standing open. Somehow in front of me, all of heaven opened up. And this is what I saw. There before me was a white horse. And who was riding that horse? The rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him. And what are they doing? The people of God, you and me, friends, they're riding on white horses. 
They're dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He wins. That's who we follow, friends. And so, friends, when we say this Jesus, this Lord of all creation, when this Jesus, the King of all history, when this Jesus, your Savior, my Redeemer, when this Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, when you say Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my leader, then who has in charge, who is in charge of you? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if that's the case, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, based on my authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. When that Jesus says, okay, go, what do we do? This week, we go. Let's pray together. Father, I'm aware that sometimes in my own life, I just, I just struggle to catch up with you. Um, sometimes I just, I simply make choices that aren't the best. And there's something within me that has this battle where, yeah, I want to serve humanity. I want, to, I want people to recognize Jesus in me. I want, I, want to, I want to have language, Lord, that tells them that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ and that they should see Jesus in me, and yet I have this moment, these moments of hypocrisy when it, it doesn't work right. And Lord, that's not only my experience. It's, it's the experience of all of us here today. Lord, forgive us for the moments when we fall short on that. And uh, Lord, for where we will be this week, in the places where we go to school and where we work and where we play and conversations we have the people we meet Lord may we may we respond to people as Jesus did with compassion with a willingness to tell people of the story of Jesus and Lord we don't want to all necessarily just step into every space and be preaching we want to live in a way that our actions and then our words speak of Christ you said that all authority is yours, Jesus. And so based on that, this week, we'll do our best to go, to be your hands and feet, and to be your voice. In the places where we don't know how to do that, Lord, you, you're aware of our shortcomings. Give us both courage and wisdom. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.